Today's three readings, we can basically sum up in two sentences. The first, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. The second, Jesus came to undo that sin. You can go home. Very simple. All of our readings today hit on this. That sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and that Jesus came to free us from that sin. Today, as we enter into the season of Lent, in so many ways, we're mirroring Jesus' entering into the desert. We're following Jesus into the desert. Because today, we see at the very beginning of this gospel that he gets led into the desert by the Spirit. And the focus is, is that he's going to be tempted at the end of 40 days and 40 nights. Now the desert in the, in the scriptures has a, has a kind of twofold meaning. The first is that it's a place of trial. And we see that. Jesus is tried during his time in the desert. And then if you fall victim to the trial, if you, if you don't quite measure up, then it's a place of purification. In the Old Testament, in the Exodus, we see that Moses leads the, the Hebrew people out into the desert and they wander for 40 days. And don't get me wrong, don't believe me that in this gospel, when a Jewish person would have heard this, they would have recognized that significance of the number 40 very, very quickly. Because they would see that this trial, that there was going to be a trial. In the Exodus, all the Hebrews, they're walking around for 40 years and 49, 40 years throughout the desert. And the reason why is because they fall victim, they fail their trial. Whenever it comes to idols, they stop focusing on God and they start focusing on lesser gods, small g gods, right? But for Jesus, what Jesus is doing is, is as I said at the very beginning, the first sentence, right? Adam and Eve came and they sinned. So Jesus is doing the second thing in this gospel. He's, he's showing how he's going to overcome their sin. Now, first reading, we hear Adam and Eve, they're, they're in the garden. We know the story. The serpent comes and tempts them away from, from what God had asked them to do. There's a tree in the center of the garden. You can eat of everything else, just not this tree. You can eat of everything else in the garden, but don't eat of the fruit of that tree. It's all God asked. You can live in paradise and in, per, in, in perfect communion with God and with each other. But just don't eat of that tree. What the serpent does is, the serpent gets them to look at the fruit. And there's three things that we hear in the first reading that Eve recognizes, and Adam and Eve both recognize when they taste of the fruit. The first, that it was a delight to the eyes. It's easy to look at. Looked good. It was good for food. Like it was plump fruit, good fruit, juicy fruit. Not, that's a gum, sorry. And then finally, it was desirable for gaining knowledge, for gaining wisdom. That not only does it look good, and not only does it probably taste good, but it also will give me something. That threefold kind of that threefold kind of explanation that we hear about the fruit 
seems to kind of just, it's one of those sentences that if we're not paying attention, we could just kind of pass over and just kind of glaze over, and it's not that big of a deal. But if we look at those three things, good for food, desirable to the eyes, and something that we can gain wisdom from, we could, we could sum that up with one word apiece. That fruit was pleasurable. That fruit was something they wanted to possess, and that fruit was something that was going to give them power. And God asked them not to partake of that fruit. Let's fast forward now to the gospel. Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's led into the desert. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now his idea, the idea of fasting that he, he takes on in the gospel is not what we do. It's not the same kind of fasting that we did on Ash Wednesday where at about 6.30 in the afternoon you were probably hungry and all day the only thing you wanted to eat was a steak. (laughs) Their idea of fasting that he partakes in is there's no food, no water, nothing. Now I don't know about you, but if I was starving at 6 o'clock at night when I finally had my big meal, I could only imagine what it would be like for 40 days for a month and 10 days not to eat. I don't think I can go 40 hours. But 40 days of nothing. Most obvious line in all of Scripture. After this, he was hungry. What, does the, what was the devil's first temptation, though? When the devil comes to Jesus, he looks at him and he recognizes his power. He says, I know that you can do this, so why don't you... Just take these rocks and make them bread. You're hungry. Eat up. Where Jesus was weakest in his humanity, his stomach growling, I'm sure, like the devil knows exactly where to attack. He knows exactly where to tempt. He knows the first thing, the most basic thing that Jesus would possibly jump at is food. Turn these rocks into bread. St. Ignatius of Loyola says that the devil, that the enemy is like a, a, a smart general. He doesn't come to the door of the castle knocking and saying, we're here to take you over. He sends out scouts around the wall and looks for the weakest point and that's where he attacks. What does the enemy do to Jesus? He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He tempts him with food. Jesus responds, no. You don't eat, we don't live on bread. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes scripture back to the enemy to cast them out. He says no to disordered pleasure, which is exactly what Adam and Eve fell victim to. First temptation, passed. Second temptation, what the devil does is he brings him up. He brings him up to the peak of the temple. Now, the temple is on a mountain. The temple is on a mountain. It's a huge building, and it's, the city is surrounded by valleys. So it was the highest of the high point for the Jewish people. And what does he do? He brings Jesus up to the top of the temple and says, throw yourself off. And he quotes scripture to him. Mimicking back Jesus' tactic, right back at him. 
He quotes Scripture and says, doesn't it read in Scripture that, the, that God will protect you and you won't even hit your foot on a stone? Jesus says, no. You're not to tempt me in this way. In a lot of ways, Jesus is being tempted with disordered power. The same way that Adam and Eve were tempted with disordered power, Jesus is tempted with disordered power because you know what? There's a lot of people that had seen Jesus be baptized a chapter before this. There's a lot of people that had heard the words coming from the, from the cloud and they were just like Cajun people, they talked. And people heard that there was a, that the clouds opened up and a voice came down and said, this is my beloved son. Jesus could have proven all the critics wrong in the center square of the city and made sure everybody saw that he could jump off of the top of the temple and levitate and not be hurt. He could have shown his power if he wanted to. But he says no. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Temptation number two. Fast. The final temptation. Jesus is brought on, onto a high mountain. And he's shown all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms in the world and all their magnificence. He's shown palaces and people and everybody of the world. The devil looks at him and says, I can give you all of this. Jesus looks at him and, or Jesus, you know, the, his purpose, the purpose of sending a Messiah, the whole purpose of sending a Messiah throughout the whole Old Testament is that after original sin happens, that a Messiah will come and claim the people back to God will claim the people of the world back to God. And no matter how much division, no matter how much war, no matter how much strife, no matter how much famine, whatever it is in the world, that the Messiah will come and bring all the people back to himself. And that's exactly what the devil is tempting Jesus with. It's a shortcut. And it doesn't include the cross. It doesn't include the passion, death, and then resurrection. No suffering. No suffering necessary. The devil's temptation to him is, there's no suffering necessary in this. If you, want, you can complete your mission, three chapters into the, Old Test, into the New Testament, you can complete your, everything that you're sent here to do can be done, finished, and you can have all the people. All you have to do is worship me. It's disordered possession. <laughs> disordered possessing that Jesus is tempted with, that Adam and Eve fell victim to, that now he says, no. Get away from me, Satan. Jesus undoes problems of original sin. The three things that led Adam and Eve to fall victim to the, tr to, to the serpent, to eat of the fruit of the tree that we hear about in the first reading, those three things that led them to do that are the same three things that Jesus outright rejects and overcomes in the desert. 
Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, first of all, the tactics of the devil are exactly the same. The devil likes to do exactly what he did to Jesus in the, in the garden, and he did to, to Adam and Eve in, the, in Genesis. He likes to do those exact same things today to us. Focus at our weak point. Hide himself and cloak himself as some kind of false prophet. Or make, it look, make the path look really, really easy. But we sell our soul for it. There's a couple of things that we can learn, I think, in, in focusing on, these, on this gospel, on these readings. And I think these things could change the way that we approach Lent to, to the nth degree. We're right at the beginning of Lent. Um, we're going to learn two things today, and we're going to learn two ways to approach Lent, and it's going to be through boats and bananas. You're wondering how? Just wait. We're at the very beginning of Lent, and there's an excitement, Right? What are you giving up? What are you doing for Lent? You might be sharing that in your family. You might be sharing that at work with friends or whatever. There's an excitement that you came to Ash Wednesday celebrations. Uh, you might still be scarred with Ash Wednesday celebrations. If you are, I'm sorry, but we'll talk about that later. But you came to Ash Wednesday and we, we all wore the ashes on our forehead. We all were able to say, this is what I'm going to do for Lent. And we're excited because we're five days in and it's easy still. Because that Diet Coke that's staring, staring you in, <laughs> at you from the, from the fridge has only done it for a couple of days. Let's wait a couple of weeks. But as we approach, Ash, as we approach this time, as we approach this season, right, there's a, there's a story that, that comes to mind whenever I think about starting off excited. In the 1500s, after Columbus came and, and settled and found the new world, right, Spain tried to expand their, king, their, their empire as quickly as they could. So they continued to send conquistadors over from Spain to the New World. And one of them, his name was Cortez. Now Cortez landed in Cuba around 1500. And when he landed, he had a fleet of ships with him. Gets off the fleet of ships, he's on the beach. He's standing between the wilderness in front of him. A desert of sorts. The wilderness is in front of him. His men are right behind him. He turns around to his men and looks at him and says, Are you ready to go and conquer this land for the crown? Yes! Everybody got fired up. Sounded like Coach O screaming in, a, in the locker room before a game. Yes! We're here to conquer this land. Are you ready to claim this land for the crown? Yes! Are you willing to die for the mission ahead of you? Yes. Men stirred up really, really well, like got really fired up, really excited. Cortez looks at him and says, then burn the ships. Because we're not going home. We can get tied up into the excitement of Ash Wednesday, into the excitement of coming off of Mardi Gras, into the excitement of a new season in our church. But what ship in your life needs to be burned? What out in your life? What, what back door do you need to close? I'm going to give up drinking. But I know I got that one bottle tucked away in my closet. I'm going to give up gambling. 
But it, it doesn't hurt to play the poker machine just on my way home from work every now and then. I, I, I'm going to give up gossiping. But I know I'm going to see that one girl and just to be nice, maybe just a little. What ship in your life do you need to burn? That there is no turning back. That Lent would, would do its job and set us on a new path, on a new way forward. And not back to a life of sin. That's boats. The second way that we can kind of focus on it is bananas. Bear with me. I don't know if you've ever seen a, uh, a monkey trap. The way a monkey trap works out in the wild is they take a banana and they put it in this cage of sorts. It's just a banana in a cage. And there's a hole, there's a small hole that the monkey, whenever he sees the banana, walks up and has to kind of fidget his hand and slide his hand and squeeze his hand through the hole. And he grabs onto the banana. The thing about the monkey is that he'll never let go of the banana as long as he can see it. And he will stay imprisoned through this little box hanging in a tree because he won't let go and he can't fit his hand out. What thing are you holding on to that if you let go of this Lenten season, you'd be free? What temptation, what way in which the devil is out there getting at you, just making things look really, really nice or really, really easy? What's the one thing in your life that God is asking you very simply just to let go of? That you're imprisoned to and you don't even realize it. And God's just asking you to let go of it. What pleasure? What thing, what, what, what thing do we find ourselves, what pleasure in our life do we find ourselves imprisoned to? Is it possession? Might be some possessions. Might be some things in our life that we might be imprisoned to. Is it power that we're imprisoned to? You see, the way in which we, we break the chains of these three things is exactly the same three themes that we continue to hit on throughout this Lenten season. I'm, I'm addicted to pleasure, let's say. How does that look? It might look like just mindlessly scrolling through social media. Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, you don't know what those things are, sorry. But it might just be mindlessly scrolling. The best way to break that habit, the best way to break that chain, to break out of that prison, is to fast. It's to show that I can live without mindlessly looking at Facebook. I can live without eating these certain things that aren't good for me and aren't good for others. I can live instead of doing these certain habits that might come up through a computer that doesn't have blocks on it, right? Whatever it is, there's a, there's a way in which we can break that chain by fasting. 
If it's possessions, and I don't know, I, I might be just projecting my own faults, and I'm sorry if I am, but I don't know about you, but I know there's a lot of times that whenever I'm bored, I just start scrolling through Amazon. I could use that. Oh, look how cheap it is. As if stuff is going to in some way help me grow in my relationship with God. If it's possessions, if it's stuff, if it's clothes, whatever it is, the best way that we can possibly break out of that prison, out of, break that chain in our life, is to give. Give stuff away, whatever it is. Give money away, whatever it is. The best way to crucify that messed up desire in our heart is to give. And finally, if that's power, if it's a thirst for power in your life, if you want to feel like you're in control in whatever way, in whatever things in your life, if there's a way to fight the power in your life that you might be holding on to too tightly, the best way is to break that chain by prayer. Because in prayer, we humbly come before our God and we realize that we're not Him. We realize that there is a God and I'm not Him. This is what God invites us into with the prayer, the fasting, and the almsgiving of Lent. You want it to be the best Lent of your life? Burn whatever back door, whatever ship that you have. Whatever out clause you have. And let go of whatever it is that God wants you to let go of. That's got you imprisoned. That's why we have the sacrament of confession. That's why we have the sacrament of the Eucharist. This is why the church exists. It's to let us live in complete and total freedom before our God. This Lent, and we taste that freedom. May we live a new level of freedom in our day-to-day. And at the end of Lent, if we are persistent, if we persevere through the desert, we'll look a little bit more like Jesus Christ.